There was a lot of mental trauma and struggle after that, um, particularly for Gemma, um, you know, and us as a family. That was, that was pretty tough. And so it took us a fair while to try and find our feet. G'day, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Father. Father aims to unpack the many facets of fatherhood through storytelling, community, and connection bringing you stories often untold that are real, raw, and relatable. Today, it's my pleasure to have special guest Tommy Simons join me. A fellow endangered species, a redhead, an all-round champion human, Tommy was kind enough to give us his time today and nothing was off topic. A former professional rugby league player, Sydney Roosters Jr., who made his NRL debut with the Chooks in 2009 under the great Freddie Fittler. Tommy was in Bondi until 2012 before shifting clubs and finding a home on the northern beaches at the Manly Seagulls in 2013. After a couple of seasons at the Seagulls, he headed to the UK Super League before injuries forced his hand into early retirement. Today we talk athlete welfare and get an insight into the inner workings of Rugby League Players Association, discuss professional sport and the transition into life after it, including parenthood, some tales off the field, through to an extremely frank, raw and no-holes-barred personal story of Tommy and his partner's journey into creating their own family. Some things shared only a handful of his closest circle know. There's something in this one for everyone, and I do hope you enjoy listening as much as I did recording. Thanks for tuning in. All right, well, we'll take it from here. Let's do it. All right, Tommy, mate, thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure catching up, mate, and appreciate your time again today. Before we dive in, just six quick questions, just to get the ball rolling, break the ice, and uh, see how we go with it. So, shoot from the hip, here we go. Best dad joke. All right. I've got a couple up my sleeve, actually, but um, probably my favourite. What's what's a pirate's favourite letter? You tell me. Uh, you think it's the R, but it's actually the C. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, God, I hope they get better. Yeah. No, that's, gra- that's great, mate. I'll run with that one. What's your poison or guilty pleasure? Uh, probably uh, espresso martinis, I reckon, especially catching up with a few people. I love one of them or a, or a couple, so... Let's go with that. Absolutely. We'll grab one after this. <laughs> festival or chill? Love me a festival, mate. Um, it's been a while between drinks with COVID, but um, yeah, get me back there. You've had a few in your time. You've, yeah. had, a, you've had a couple overseas too, haven't you? Yeah, I have. Any standouts? I've, Leeds Fest was great, actually. Saw the Chili Peppers live. Pretty cool. Kidding. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's pretty epic. It's hard to beat. Mate, most proud of in your life? Probably now being a dad, having two kids. They test you, but um, yeah, just the joy you get out of them, seeing them with other people and your mates, yeah, it makes me proud, mate. Nice. Is there one incident that defines you or you feel made you who you are today? Probably not one incident. 
but I think I've been pretty fortunate with my upbringing, my support network, friends and family and that sort of thing. Um, just reflecting on it, I think it's probably helped shape me, who, shape me into who I am today, given me the support I need to, I guess, do the things I have. So, yeah, good support network. Lovely. And lastly, what does father mean to you? For me, mate, the first thing that jumps to my mind is values and, and uh, setting an example, I suppose. So I look at that from the view of my old man um, to me, but uh, now we're with a couple of tin lids myself. Yeah, just setting good good values and, um, and direction. Yeah, nice, mate. Very good. Thank you very much for that. Really appreciate it. And look, there's a range of things we'll, we'll, we'll scratch today. Before jumping into a lot of that, just keen for people that don't know who you are, the big, great Tommy Red Simons, fellow, <laughs> fellow Red Man. Um, mate, a bit about yourself. Yeah, mate. I am born and bred in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, don't judge. Um, <laughs> no judgment, mate. Born in Paddington too. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. A couple of Paddington-born fellows. Uh, grew up at Bronte with mum, dad and two brothers. Uh, dad was a builder. Mum worked as well. Grew up just like many other um, kids around the area playing sport, going to the beach. Yeah, pretty pretty great times um, looking back on it. I uh, went to school in Ramwick and um, yeah, mate, it's a bit about where I've come from. And like I said before, plenty of good friends and family I've grown up with and then through um, through and playing a bit of footy, uh, I've got a great circle of friends through that as well. Absolutely, and you're a, you're a Chooks junior too, so we'll touch on that too. Talk to me about your upbringing and the kind of kid you were growing up. Yeah, like I said, mate, I spent uh, a lot of time playing sports, whether it be cricket, footy, touched or down the beach with the, with the mates. Tried up, tried pretty hard at school. Yeah, I don't know what it was, but just everything I did, I had a good crack at. So, um, overachiever, maybe. Uh, I don't know about that, mate. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I gave it my best in whatever it was I did. I was a relatively decent, decent kid. I was um, kept in line, and yeah, I was, I was pretty good like that. My um, my older brother and younger brother. Um, yeah, they were a, a little bit different to me, so maybe I was the one who had to try and keep on the straight and narrow. But um, yeah, once I, I guess once I got into adulthood, found a bit of freedom and worked out how to enjoy myself, I reckon. Yeah, lovely. Very good. Obviously, a prof- ex-professional rugby league player now. Was there any other sports that were, you know, that were up there for you or, or any others that really took your time or was it always footy for you? Yeah, footy was uh, always number one, um, something I was probably the best at. But yeah, I loved me cricket. Well, Shane Warne, by the way. Um, yeah, mate. About that. News overnight, horrible. Yeah. Mm. Um, so I, I did. I love me cricket. Still love it now. If I um, if I could have been a Test cricketer, that would have been a cracking career. But um, yeah, not to be. Footy was footy was number one. Absolutely. I actually played. Yeah, when I came down from the country, I actually played for Eastern Suburbs oh, cricket. Yeah? yeah, and we we actually used to have a game at. At uh, Waverley Oval, actually, yeah. against the Chooks. Did you ever play in that one? I did, mate. A um, couple of years there. Waverley Oval was my old stomping ground um, for yeah, junior footy yeah, as yeah. well. So that was pretty cool, actually. We'd get – there was a few good cricketers, actually, um, in my time at the Roosters. We had one year, I think, Jimmy Maloney and Boyd Cordner. Yeah, right. Aidan Guerra, I remember. Um, we were all pretty keen on it. Um, okay. I think the, the East boys let us um, get a few for, a few boundaries <laughs> just to keep the game fun. But um, yeah, that was good fun, actually. Maybe we went head-to-head, mate. Maybe, mate. Maybe. Oh, very good. Look, and just – on your upbringing, how has that shaped raising your own boys? You've got two now, and we'll get into that, but how has your upbringing shaped that? Yeah, I suppose um, it's not something you reflect on too much, um, or at least I didn't through the growing up journey or even as an adult, but having your own kids 
you probably do tend to reflect a little bit, you realise how much influence you do have on your kids. And so in that way, I've probably become a bit more grateful for, like I said earlier, that support network and just having good friends and family around. You realise how much influence it does have. So certainly, um, I guess the awareness for me is just um, how much um, impact you can have on your kids, whether it be good or bad. Yeah, so still trying to work that one out a little bit, mate. But um, I'm here. I'm yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all, mate? Oh, oh no, mate, that's great. And, and you mentioned your old man's a builder. And I think eastern suburbs, a lot of people think, you know, white collar, pretentious, whatever it might be. What sort of influences he had on you or, or maybe the values he's instilled in you and, again, being a builder, but how's that look? Yeah, I think you're right, mate. There's a, a bit of a perception there, um, particularly when I was playing footy, a lot of my mates, you know, would um, sort of take the piss out of me being Silver Spoon and, um, you know, from Bondi, Bronte and so forth. But, um, yeah, truly, you know, as you said, Dad was a builder. We were very very much working class. You know, we had to work hard for everything. Dad was um, – the values we had was basically uh, we're not spending anything that's unnecessary. Yep. Um, so he taught me some good finance habits, I reckon. Yeah. The value of a dollar, I suppose. And like I said, we, we were very fortunate. Grew up in a, a great location, great area. But it's certainly not the um, area that it is today, I suppose, in terms of um, the wealth and, I guess, the dem- demographic. So, yeah, I mean, we're just a very much a, a middle-class family, all having a crack, doing our best to get by with three kids. And, um, yeah, looking back, I, I appreciate how hard Dad worked. Yeah, awesome. And it takes some time. You, you take a lot of it. Well, I won't speak for you, mate, but I think you do take a lot for granted, right, until you deal, do, you know, whether it's have kids yourself or just – hit pause life is is pretty hectic pretty busy and you know sometimes it does take a moment to go yeah how did they do that or what did it look like or whatever for that matter so no that's good mate and and you mentioned obviously footy where did you play your juniors you you obviously eastern suburbs junior what did that look like for you where did where did you come through so i was a um a bondi united junior a pretty pretty famous club around the area Uh, i'm very proud to have come through the green and white yeah that's it mate green with the the white v yeah, like I said, very proud. My my uh, family had a, a big connection with the club and still does um, to this day. Your grandpa, what's what's the story there? He was heavily involved, wasn't he? That's right, mate. He's uh, Yuka, one of the greats. Um, he founded the club back in the uh, early, uh, around the mid-40s, I think it was, after coming right. back from the war. Um, him and a bunch of mates started it up. And he was, yeah, he was a bit of a local hero um, for his entire life. Yeah, I guess that's something I'm super proud of. The, the um, I guess the way that he was held, or the esteem he's held in um, our family. Like I said, we, you know, due to him, we were sort of born into footy, rugby league, and, and Bondi United. So I, um, I followed that that path and, and loved it. Awesome, mate! Fantastic. Just on Bondi United, obviously y- yourself, you're more than more than on the honour roll there, no <laughs> doubt. Um, any others that jump to mind for you? Any other, you know, be it Chooks or other players that have gone on to do other things? that have come through the ranks there at Bondi United? Yeah, we had a, um, a really good crew of mates in, in my age group. Um, before me, probably the most famous and recognisable was Luke Rickardson. He was... Good-looking uh, man. He's, yeah, he's too, good for, <laughs> too good for rugby league. He's, Carry on. <laughs> he's, he's even a sort now, isn't he? Oh, I don't know how old he is, but he's, he's still... Great, Nick. He's got a you know, great wife, great... He's you know, killing. He's on the board at the Roosters. What he's a bloke. Living the dream. That's it. That's it. So um, I was the first... Uh, one of the first Roosters juniors after he played, um, he set the tone. But um, yeah, there's been you know particularly back in the early the early days, there was a lot more first graders that came out of Bondi United. Now now it's a little bit more few and far between, unfortunately. Um, just the nature of um, junior sport in the area, I suppose, doesn't have as many participants and it's not as strong. But um, 
yeah, there's still a few juniors, you know, playing today, just just not as many as you'd, you'd like, I suppose. Yeah, for sure. Oh, look, I was only just speaking to a mate this morning and it seems like that is the general vibe or general gist at the moment with, with local league. I heard, if I'm not mistaken, apologies, but Cabramatta might have even even pulled out of out of the comp there. I don't know if it was Ron Massiot. Look, I'm probably incorrect in some some way there, but like it seems like it's definitely um question mark over what's happening at a, at a you know local A grade sort of level. Mm. I guess you'd say, and it's it's not it's not good to see. But yeah, for sure, I think I'm not as familiar with, I guess, um, some of the other areas, but even you know on the beaches and the, the demographic yeah, exactly. now, I suppose there's just so many things competing with sport right for your attention, whether it, um, I don't know what the young kids do these days, mate. But, um, TikTok. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Social media, um, technology doing, you know, not getting out and about. I don't know if that's having um, an influence. I'm sure it is, which isn't great to see. But, um, yeah, hopefully hopefully, sport keeps on going, mate. Yeah, exactly. You're right. But we are sport for choice. Like, I think, you know, here in Australia, you know, the, the comparisons are always made to, to the Kiwis, those across the ditch. But, you know, we are, we are sport for choice. Obviously, you know, soccer or football, I should say. AFL, Union, League, and everyone's just buying, you know, trying to, trying to buy kids and, and, you know, we are spoilt and I guess it dilutes us being mm. really, look, you know, we're strong across all, I'd argue, but, yeah, it does make it hard, right? Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, like you said before, sport for choice is a good way for putting it, whether it's with between sports or, or even for other um, options now. There's just so many things to do, so potentially, you know, kids doing different things. For sure. And you mentioned, you've mentioned a couple of players already. In terms of those you've played up with, or sorry, played with, let's <laughs> let's run with that, mate. With Both. plenty, yeah, yeah, played up and played with plenty of characters, mate. Whilst you're a vault, I do appreciate that. Look, is there any stories outside of the sheds that stick out for you, or you know, from a sober Mad Monday or two? Yeah, I've had plenty of good times, mate. Now that I'm retired, I can probably um, let you know on a few. Fortunately, I think uh, the, the game's probably changed a fair bit. You know, I debuted a long time ago now, so things have continue to get more and more professional uh, I think my my debut year at the Roosters we had some um, some of the older heads around um, you know whether it be Fitzy or, or Big Willie trying to steer the ship and, and some of us young guys myself Jake Friend Mitchell Pearce um, all those boys have had a few ups and downs so we sort of learnt the ropes off um, some of those older boys there was a bit of a um, I guess a, a history there of um, across the, the game or I'm sure it was cross sport as well but to um, train hard party hard and yeah, we certainly enjoyed our times off the field, mate. Didn't do too well that first year, but um, off the field was great fun. And then over at Manly, mate, there was um, a ripper crew of mates, some great times on and off the field. I think Wolfman stands out as uh, someone who's always um, creating a few stories, mate. Um, <laughs> He's a good man. I think I've shared a pizza or two with yeah, him, actually, at Jerry's. I think there's um, quite a few people on the beaches that would have had a, a random couple of hours with the Wolfman because, uh, yeah, once he has a couple, he's, he's known to be very friendly. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's, he's a legend. So, um, yeah, there was a few stories with him. And what else have I got for you, mate? Um, don't know how many details, but just a couple of good um, trips in there. We went to Vegas one year with a crew of about 10 or 12 of the Manly boys. And, yeah, five days are the best. I don't know if I've got that in me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're not built like we used to, are we, mates? But um, literally. Oh, no, look, that's that's fair, mate. Yeah, obviously, you did have some characters coming through. I know, obviously, the Stuart brothers and... Snake, Gifty, and, and a bunch of others too, and I think you know one thing was for sure they they could play footy better than better than most, but yeah, they, they also didn't mind a, a good time too, and just champion blokes. So no, I, I appreciate them, Matt, and I know there's thank God for no iPhones back in the day. I'd say, <laughs> yeah, that was um, still should be a rule actually. Just chuck the phones yeah, away. Seriously, uh, you know that serves play as well. Or it's like that joint. Have you been to that one in a restaurant in the city? 
can't recall the name of it. You, you go in I there, do. you drop your phone. It. Yeah. yeah, it's a steak joint, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Outstanding steaks. <laughs> I'll drop that in. Little there. shout out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sponsor. Can I get a plug. <laughs> we'll work on that one. So, look, I'll pivot away from footy in just a sec, but just to round that chat out, do you have a best tourist or a roomie or made any any that stand out for you? Any odd quirks? Anything like that? Yeah, my uh, one of my most common roommates was uh, Brenton Lawrence, uh, BJ, one of the great uh, great men, uh, probably too good of a bloke for rugby league, I reckon he was such a champion. Um, mate, we just used to, to talk... You know, all day and night, just riff it, get real deep. Yep. Um, absolute champion fella. And, yeah, probably got a little bit too much of a bromance for a little while there. It was touch and go. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was, he was a great man. I love VJ. Yeah, nice, mate. And, look, post-footy, talk us through that. How have you found the transition, firstly, from professional footballer to now professional, you know, career business-wise and, and the role you now play in assisting other professional players? Yeah, mate, so I guess transitioning from footy, I was, um, I was okay. I think uh, I wasn't really ready to, to finish footy when I did. I had a number of injuries, so I just basically couldn't stay back on the field. My knee was cactus, and I um, also had two years to run on my contract. I was over in England at the time. You know, the club and I basically parted ways, and so I wasn't ready for that. Uh, I wasn't happy about it, but at the same time, I was, you know, um, okay with it, accepted it, and decided, well, there's no point, you know, looking about it. It's time to move mm-hmm. on and, and work out what's next. And I did, you know, during my career, a bit of study, you know, thought about post-footy a little bit. But when it actually happens, it's still a, a shock. Um, mm. Slaps you in the face, I suppose. And, um, yeah, I guess after taking stock a little bit at the time and thinking, all right, well, what is next? Yeah, I worked out pretty quickly that I wanted to stay involved in rugby league given that I still love the game and thought I had a bit to contribute. Also, I wasn't going to be on the field. So, yeah, mate, I was over in England going, what's next? We were... We were um, I think mid-pregnancy, Gemma and I at the time. So we're due to give birth over in England and have a little family and keep playing, but that wasn't to be. So we said, what's next? And as I said, I just um, got the whiteboard out and started um, brainstorming. And funnily enough, one of the first things I did was think about the the RLPA, where I'm at now, the Rugby League Players Association, and um, thought, you know what, I think um, that'd be a great path for me. And so I basically touched, touched base with the team at the RLPA at the time and you know, fortunately for me, it sort of was good timing and I basically um, planned to move back to Sydney and I move into the RLPA. Awesome. Just for those unaware, what is the RLPA and, you know, the purpose and objectives? So the RLPA is essentially the representative body of the professional rugby league players, essentially the players' union, you'd call it. We look after, you know, minimum terms and conditions, payments, uh, wellbeing programs um, across the game, basically... Um, advocate for better conditions for all players there's a number of different projects we look after but um, I suppose that's the, the simple way of looking at it and having the career I did where I had quite a few ups and downs I wasn't a superstar um, there was times I was um, playing great there was times I was a fringe player you know dropped injured um, you name it agent issues felt like I experienced a fair bit and so um, I was always pretty passionate about the space and um, it's probably given me a, a decent grounding I suppose in some of the issues we deal with now and, and help uh, players with for sure mate and yeah look without pissing in your pocket you're obviously a very well-rounded bloke and good head on your shoulders and it's great to see you know people like yourself remain involved because obviously you've got plenty to give and especially I think not only young players but you know even guys that are transitioning you know out of the game now too and just being that 
I guess that additional voice or, or whatever it might be. So mate, that's that's Appreciate awesome. That, mate. You're a good man. Uh, that's all right, mate. All good. No, look. So and, and just just on the RLPA piece, mm. what is the relationship between RLPA, NRL, and the individual clubs and players? Yeah, it's a um, it's a pretty complex one to be to be honest, mate. Um, guess one, being a little bit closer to it now as an administrator, I suppose you, you see some of the politics and in, ins and outs. Generally speaking, um, everyone at a high level wants the best for the game, the club, you know, themselves, individuals as players. So overarching, you're on the same page. But in saying that, there's there's differences of opinion on many things. This year in particular, the players' um, collective bargaining agreement comes to an end, which is common in all sports. Um, and therefore, when you negotiate a new one, it tends to be a bit of friction between governing body and players and representatives, um, which is, like I said, it's natural. It's the one time you got to, I guess, try and get the, the fairest terms and conditions possible for players and I guess the perception for those who aren't close to it is always that um, players are well paid or they're always looked after or you know they've got it really good but um, it's actually not always the case particularly for a lot of players so so it's a great time for us as their representatives to get I guess fair and and, um, reasonable um, terms and conditions for them. So yeah mate there's a bit of bit of friction at times between the NRL and, and players. Clubs as well there might be Issues from from time to time, but clubs these days are, are generally across the board in really good shape. I believe, uh, pretty professional environments. It's come a long way, probably in the last ten or twenty years, and so um, conditions and and support and, and welfare and I guess all the the high performance systems in clubs now are, are at a really good level, which is great. Um, so it should be it turns um you know turns the game into a great product. So you need that. But yeah, mate, it can be frosty at times. But um, there's also times. When you're singing from the same sheet and um, you know, everyone just wants the game to thrive, which is where we want to get to, I suppose. Absolutely. And just in terms of just super high level, the structure within RLPA, obviously, you know, yourself, you know, what's your role? But then also, what else does it look like? You've got a board, if I understand correctly, you've got delegates at each of the club, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And even certain individuals that represent certain pockets, but the Pacifica or, or Polynesian side of things and that. Just, can you just give a little bit of colour around what that looks like? Yeah, mate, RPO? for sure. So um, we're all player-led um, and directed as an association, so we don't answer to anyone else, completely independent. Um, our members, our, our uh, NRL and NRLW players, um, basically give us direction on what they think is important and what they want us to do. Uh, we've got a staff of about 12, headed up by Clint Newton as our CEO, um, and our board, which has to be made up of half players, some of those at the moment, Daly Cherry Evans, Christian Welsh, Wade Graham, um, Ripper Fellas, all really passionate, selfless blokes, and Hannah Southwell who's come on board. Um, she's a she's a Roosters NRLW player, and um, she's awesome. She's uh, she's pretty feisty, and I guess at times you have to be in the women's space at the moment to um, try and drive things forward. But um, all really great people. That's our general structure. We have some um, some non players on the board as well, mate. And um, as as I said before, we're completely player led and directed. And so it's important we have a leadership structure in place. Um, obviously, we've got, you know, if you've got 500 you know, male players and a couple hundred women, you, know, you can't speak to everyone every single day. So we have a, a structure in place where at each club, you may have you know, between sort of two and five um, delegates who are, are basically the main touch point between us as their association and that playing group, um, which is really important. Above them, you have uh, we, a player advisory group, which is you know, about 10 to 12 key players that are probably deeper thinkers, more keen to develop themselves or, or take the opportunity to get more involved. 
And they're super, super important in terms of us getting outcomes, providing quality feedback and working with the NRL on different issues. They're, they're a major, major factor for us. They've been awesome the last couple of years. We've had to deal with a fair bit with, with COVID and pay reductions and um, protocols, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, that, that's a basic structure, mate. I've probably chewed your ear off a bit too long no, about look, it. No, um, look, it's, it's super interesting because, again, it, it comes up a lot, right? Not only, obviously, you've got RLPA, you've got Rupa with, you know, Rugby Union and, and various others, as you mentioned, all the codes have these. And I think it's super interesting for people from the outside looking in what's involved, what you guys cover and, you know, where the crossover is between the governing body and, and the PA. So, um, no, mate, that's, that's, yeah, super interesting. Thanks for sharing all awesome, of that. Man. You know, back to front. <laughs> um, and, and, and just on that too, because, again, you know I'm a, I'm a Roosters tragic and I'll let it go in a sec. But um, <laughs> one, of, one of the former um, guys, he was a weapon. Sia? Yeah. And, and obviously in the nation's capital now, Sia Soliola. That's it. Great He's man. involved too, right? Is that, is that correct? What, what does that look like? So guys like him. He's um absolute ripper fella, Sia. Um, he, he is technically on our board. Now that he's just retired um, at the end of last year, he'll be coming off at our next AGM. So... Technically, he's been a board member um, for the last couple of years and has been awesome. He's played a great role down at Canberra for those players. But um, as you touched on before, given like the different backgrounds within our group, it's important we have those players represented. And see a um, shining light in that Pacific space. He's you know, really well thought out, considers a number of different angles and has been such a great support for us the last few years. As you can tell, I love him. <laughs> so it would be a big loss um, in terms of you know a current player doing things. But he's still active with us at the moment, trying to see what he can do to help with engaging some of the next crew of young Pacifica and Indigenous leaders. A super important um, place for us to, to try and grow a bit more, I reckon. Oh, definitely. And I guess just given, I can't recall the stats off the top of my head, but just given just the sheer bulk of the playing group across all clubs now, you know, it is such a you know heavily Indigenous Pacifica presence, which is awesome to see. So it's great to see those guys involved and it's, it's obviously an area that's only going to grow. So that's uh, fantastic. Just on that, NRL, as we know, it's, it's diverse. Cultures, ethnicities, backgrounds, family environments, upbringings as well. In your role with, with Rupa, oh, sorry, Rupa, RLPA, sorry. That's right. With RLPA. Rupa, they need, need yeah, other staff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Jewel hat. <laughs> Maybe even poach. Um, <laughs> mate, my point though, you're obviously exposed to a hell of a lot. Would you say there is a lot of untold stories or struggles out there? Definitely. You know, those things that obviously high profile and in the public domain, um, some of the struggles, um, some of the, the highlights, I suppose. But there's also lots of stuff that goes on behind the scenes that, as I said before, isn't, isn't known about. Um, I think you know, that's part of our role is making sure there is decent support and trying to develop players throughout their careers. The nature of rugby league, it is pretty blue collar. And so you know, given that's the case, and as you said, there's different cultures, um, different uh, I guess geographic regions where players come from there are some some tough um, upbringings there's some um, different cultural circumstances where players yeah just like anyone in in the normal population if they've had struggles then um, can be hard to adapt or or deal with different certain things Um, and so yeah amongst our playing group there is certainly some pretty tough circumstances they have to deal with and then even as a current player um, you're probably thrown a number of different things and challenges that most you know, really young men and women aren't really equipped to deal with, whether it be the media speculation or, or pressure, you know, just performing on a week-to-week basis. Um, you know, there's a fair, fair load on individuals and it doesn't really matter the um, financial uh, pay packet you might be on, whether it's, you know, $2 or a million dollars. Some of those challenges are pretty tough. And, and, yeah, so we see quite a bit, mate. 
Oh, definitely. And look, at the end of the day, obviously they're human beings at the end of the day, right? So it doesn't, regardless of what you get paid, that's not going to change, you know, mentally where you're at or if you're hit certain instances or circumstances or whatever, it's not going to... It's it's not going to be any totally. easier, right? So yeah, no, that's interesting. The thing I love about uh, the the background and the culture though of rugby league is, um, sure, it's it's pretty blue collar, but um, sort of makes the characters that come pretty awesome. I think that's probably a bit of a lure to Big part of the game. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I mean, that's why um, it's so popular. Is many of the characters in the game. Um, I love that we're trying to embrace that a little bit more at the moment. Um, at times, so I hope so. Like you know, yeah. and and we lost one. Again, as we touched on at the start overnight, big Shane Warne. Mm. You just hope that with all the media, you know, scrutiny, scrutiny, um, <laughs> and and everything else, right? Like you just hope that the game or or just professional sports in general, we're not going to lose those characters, you know, those those larrikins or whatever. You know, you want people that that are engaging, that are real and raw, and they just you know tell it how it is or whatever for that matter. You know, you don't want people boxed, otherwise. You know, it's just robotic. Oh, for sure. And and the nature of, um, I mean, speaking just from rugby league, it's it's not a um, not everyone is polished, and so you kind of if we try and embrace that, I'm sure you can in, um, try and pick your battles or pick your times. But um, the characters we've got um, are basically something we should embrace. Yeah, exactly. Um, you, you probably don't always get it right, but you know that's fine. If you get it right most of the time, just, uh, you know, brings more people in. So, and even across sport, mate. Yeah, you don't want it to become too robotic or too polished. So, yeah, characters in sport, how good. Yeah, absolutely. Mate, just to pivot a little bit, and we'll touch on a couple of things, obviously, you know, more broadly around fatherhood and a couple of other things which I'd love to get to. And I, I don't want to be controversial here, but do you feel there's a silent expectation on footballers returning to the game, be it soon after having a child or, you know, something rather large happen in their lives? And what impact do you feel this can have on you know, the family dynamic or partners and that side of things. Sure, if you don't mate. mind me asking, of course. Yeah, no, happy to, to um, delve into that one a little bit, mate. I think uh, just speaking from a personal experience, after stepping away from the game, you realise uh, when you're playing how invested you, you really are and every single training session or every day um, is a big deal or it seems a big deal. And certainly um, I th- thought that way. And so the idea of players missing you know, a couple of weeks of in a normal job for, for um, giving birth to a kid or, you know, dealing with some mental health issues and that sort of stuff. You know, thankfully it's in a, a reasonably accepted spot. But in, in sports it's it's a little bit different. It certainly wasn't I was playing. As I said, mate, the thought of just missing one training session was a big deal. And so there is a huge expectation on players um, to still carry on with their duties. And, um, you know, potentially some players feel as though, you know, missing one game could, you know, basically move them out of the team as an example you just feel that inclined and so there's a big expectation there about carrying on and doing you know your job for the team you don't want to let your teammates down um, whether it's as I said for for giving birth to a kid or or for some challenges that you might be dealing with at the time. Yeah definitely man and I think you know also from the perspective of you know if you're that young kid coming up through 20s or whatever for that matter you're trying to crack it or you know you might be that fringe player as well that you know, you don't necessarily want to have a week or, or training or whatever off because you're probably going, there's, there's you know, three, four, five guys nipping at my heels here. If I don't Definitely. front up here, I, I could lose my spot and therefore, you know, that could put a contract at risk potentially, you know, if you, if you don't get more game time. So, yeah, it's interesting. Mm. And it's, it's even, um, I guess, it, t- it might take to um, either mature, get older or, or even maybe out of the game completely before you realise, I guess, 
uh, how important different things in life are. And mm. I suppose that's one where you probably do you do want to be putting, um, I guess, your focus. Um, there was a story last year where one of the players was up and still in Queensland and um, his wife was you know, due to give birth and um, played the game, jumped straight in the car after the game and um, you know, his wife gave birth as he was on the way back to Sydney. So he's missed that. Mm. Um, again, it's, it's, um, it's not about you know, poor him or poor me or anyone like that, but it's just the reality of the situation in elite sport. There's a fair expectation that you're there to perform your duties regardless of what's going on off the field. Oh, 100%. And there's expectations on, you know, from fans, you know, those, those couch warriors, but then also you know, from sponsors and clubs, and, and it's a big business, right? And I think it's got to be hard, and it's just something I don't think the broader community or you know, the fans probably for that matter realise, I'd argue, what's involved and what the sacrifices look like. Everyone goes, oh, yeah, you know, they're on you know, a mil plus, you know, let's just assume all of them. So she'll be right. Yeah, I know, exactly <laughs> right, yeah. But, yeah, you know what I'm saying? So it's, it's, it's an interesting one. Just on the, on the father piece then too and, mm. and, and as we start to go down that path, what support systems are in place for new dads in the NRL and – I guess to my point before, people I think forget, unlike a typical workplace, obviously there's paternity leave, there's mental health leave, you know, these things are the norm. It's rare to see a player take that, I'd say. Does that impact the player partner again and, and what, what sort of systems are in place there? Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a fluid one, to be honest, mate. There's, um, you know, I, I think the environment that a player is in and their own... I guess their own views and priorities is going to play a role. There's, there's certainly, um, you're seeing more and more... Um, acceptance of uh, players being able to take, you know, even if it is a few days away, just to um, be there for their partners, um, enjoy that that euphoria of, of um, mm. you know, childbirth. Um, sorry, they're not actually giving birth. That sounded a bit <laughs> off, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> euphoria oh, of being there for yeah, the childbirth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, feels like it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, but the acceptance is there more, I, I think. It's, it's yep. coming a long way, um, which is great. Even in society, I suppose, just, um, whether it's around recognising um, mental health, um, mm, mm. the importance of, you know, I guess, proactive mental health or, or supporting your family. Um, COVID's had a big role to play in that, I think. So fortunately, um, that's becoming more common in, in footy, but it's still fluid. I mean, if, if you're supported in an environment, a club where the coach and the staff are telling you, no, absolutely, go and enjoy this moment, take a week, take two weeks, you know, you, we'll, we'll be here waiting for you when you're ready. That's different to an environment where, um, as I said before, there is you know the expectation, even if it's not from the staff, it's internally that you need to be there doing your job. So it's probably still got a little while to go, but more and more I feel like the support's there. And certainly the wellbeing staff um, at clubs uh, play a huge role in supporting, I guess, um, new dads. Definitely. I mean, that's, that's a really good insight too. And on your journey, correct me if I'm wrong here, did you have to juggle... Like obviously, sounds like the injury forced your hand a little bit mm. with retirement, but just juggling professional footy and fatherhood for you. How did you find that, or was it more? Were you already were the boots already up by then? Yeah, so we were planning on um, having to, having to juggle the two. Yep. Um, I said we were in England at the time and expecting to give birth um, whilst I was still playing. So unfortunately, had the injury, um, hung up the boots, and um, basically my transition was arrived back in Sydney start a new job and have um, first kid all within sort of a month. So it was a bit of a whirlwind. Um, so I guess unfortunately and fortunately I didn't have to um, juggle kids in sport. I, um, I certainly appreciate how def- difficult it would have been now, you know, being a, being a dad now and, and realising how challenging it can be. 
um, I can understand some of the the, um, the players back when I was playing who had to you know manage kids and and how difficult it was. But at the same time, um, wow, would have been bloody awesome to have your kids. Yeah. You know, being able to see you run around. Um, That'd have been a pretty cool moment, I reckon. Yeah, exactly, mate. Some of the scenes you see, you know, whether where the boys have or, or girls for that matter, um, you know, have got, you know, their son or daughter, yeah. you know, awesome, ringside. Mate. Yeah, yeah it's, awesome, mate. It's, it's unreal. Oh, look, and and just on your journey into parenthood, people, I think we've touched on this before, right? And you know, kind of the motivator around father, among other things. But people assume everything's rosy, mate. You've had your ups and downs. I don't know what you're willing to to share or not, but. Do you want to just touch on a couple of things there? And I won't allude to anything, but is there anything sure. you want to kind of share yeah, around mate. that? More than happy to um, share the experience of myself and, and Gemma. Um, and as you said, mate, I think off the bat we've got um, two um, ripping young young kids, um, boys, both happy and healthy, so a lot to be grateful for. Um, and I suppose on the surface it, surface it can look pretty rosy and, and all um, you know happy as Larry. But, um, yeah, we've had a few few ups and downs with our sort of journey um fortunately we have been um you know pretty lucky with our fertility and and haven't had any issues there um taylor our our eldest um you know that was uh nice and quick and easy and um, nothing wrong with big red swimmers (laughs) (laughs) that's it i think i think i think i'm all good in that regard at the moment fortunately um so first pregnancy went well but the, the the birth was um really traumatic actually particularly for Gemma. Um, as I said, fairly decent pregnancy, but the birth itself was um, yeah pretty rocky. Um, Gemma, you know, during during the last few days leading up to um, the birth, had uh, skips skips my mind what the condition's called, but um, maybe I'll circle back to that one. But uh, yeah, so the last couple of days leading into um, the birth was a bit tricky. We had to get induced, and um, basically during the pregnancy, uh, not pregnancy um, during the birth, Taylor was struggling um the, the nurses realized something was going wrong um and Gemma was struggling as well and and so basically things were going from you know normal labor to um really hectic all within a few minutes um and essentially you know we went from having you know a couple of midwives in the room to you know about 30 people in the room saying all right we better rush off to emergency and, and have an emergency caesar and that sort of was a a real emergency caesar i suppose um we were looking forward to being there for the birth and suddenly um you know, we're off in emergency. I, I wasn't wasn't actually allowed to be in there because they put um, Gemma under general anaesthetic at the time. So anyway, so yeah, she got rushed down to theatres. Um, fortunately, you know, Taylor made it out, you know, alive and happy and well. Um, Gemma was asleep at the time, which was um, pretty traumatic for her. Um, so I had Taylor for the you know his first few hours. Um, it was a surprise what what uh, gender he was going to be. So I was I was stoked. But Gemma, unfortunately for her, woke up in recovery. Um, without a Taylor being there, you know, someone just mentioned, you know, oh, you've got a boy. That was how she found out. Um, and so there was that initial miss of connection. And as I said, it was, he was, um, you know, a happy and healthy baby, but there was a lot of mental trauma and struggle after that, um, particularly for Gemma, um, you know, and us as a family. That was, that was pretty tough. And so it took us a fair while to try and find our feet. And I guess continuing our journey, we fell pregnant again, uh, when Taylor was 11 months old and at the time we were still struggling to come to grips with, um, I just, I guess, just dealing with, um, you know, being new parents um, and probably more the trauma, I suppose, particularly in Gemma's case, um, you know, trying to deal with what had happened and it not going to plan and um, missing some of that initial connection. It was all, 
um, not how we'd planned and as you know some ups and downs from Gemma's end particularly um, with her mindset and her headspace at the time and so we fell pregnant unexpectedly and um, you know we had to make a decision at that point about what we're going to do and um, understand it's pretty sensitive for some people particularly if there's you know some infertility issues but um, having another kid at that point just just wasn't the right move for us as a family. Um, again, there's there's some stigma around that, but for us, um, you know, having a termination was the right call. We just went in the right right place um, to, to to welcome another kid, or to, for, particularly for Gemma to carry another kid at that time. So we made a pretty tough call. Um, it wasn't an easy one. It was the right one for us at the time, and again, that brought. Um, still brought you know a little bit more trauma and emotion to the situation at the time, and don't get me wrong, super fortunate. You know Taylor's running around having a great time and he's a little champion, <laughs> <laughs> keeping us pretty Full happy. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. Like, he still is. He's a he's a he's a jet, and so I suppose that was the first of a bit of a whirlwind for us. Sorry to go on a rant here, mate. No, but, no, um, no, mate. It's no appreciate it. Um, so we had that situation. Took a little while to get over, and probably about six months later. Things were looking much better. Um, as a family, we were doing better. Uh, Gemma's headspace was, was in a, a better place. Um, and we were ready for having another kid. So um, fortunately, we fell pregnant um, again and, and uh, things were going well. But then a couple of the initial scans, um, there was, uh, I guess, some diagnosis about whether there was a heartbeat or not. And so obviously you sort of go, oh, what's going on here? It's probably not looking great. And we went through a bit of a journey there where it took almost six weeks um, to work out if baby had a heartbeat or not, Um, which was, yeah, emotional. We were obviously super stoked about falling pregnant again and keen, but... um, You're excited, but then you don't know. That's right. Yeah. Well, I I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of people out there have have, um, had the same circumstance and you want to be excited, but um, you're also a bit guarded because it wasn't looking great. Um, So about six weeks later, yeah, we had sort of confirmation that, you know, the baby wasn't viable. And so, you know, we're faced with, okay, well, how, how do we deal with this? And um, for us, it was Gemma um, going and basically having a DNC, which is, I, s- I suppose is what you have if you, if you have a termination, um, even though baby was not alive. Um, so early on in the piece, Gemma went off for, I guess, surgery again. It's supposed to be a relatively straightforward one. Went into theatre. Um, they, they butchered it. Um, the surgeon perforated a uterus at the time. So things went from a simple procedure to, um, again, an emergency situation where she had to be under for a few hours and, and I'm thinking, what the hell's going on here? It was pretty touch and go. Um, and it can be pretty um, pretty dicey, that situation. Um, don't know the exact details why that's the case, but, um, you know, any, I suppose perforating any of your internal organs or, or um, layers there can be pretty dicey. So it was pretty, um, yeah, it was pretty full on. Um, fortunately, um, you know, she was all good and, and made a recovery. But in that process, um, again, um, they, 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 they uh, perforated her uterus, but they also didn't do the procedure well. So she was, you know, had residual bleeding for about you know, six months, which was just crazy. Like um, the toll on Gemma in particular. I mean, us blokes, we sort of get on with it mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I don't have to, I guess um, – think about it 24 7 because it's not our body but um yeah she went through her ups and downs with that and yeah yeah it took six months basically before her body finally i guess um finished passing um 
you know, the old, the, the previous baby, mm. I suppose you'd call it, and her miscarriage finally finished. Um, You've just got that constant reminder almost, you know, like mm. it's... Exactly. Yeah. So that was pretty traumatic, you know, extended miscarriage that I don't think we really told too many people. We're fairly open, but um, yeah, I suppose it's not something you bring up in conversation. So you're sort of mm. dealing with life, you know, your best, but then that's sort of um, under the surface a little bit. Um, and so that period was pretty traumatic, you know, for a couple of years there. Um, before, um, fortunately, you know, getting lucky again with, with our second uh, row and another beautiful boy. And, yeah, now I've got, you know, like I said, two ripping young fellas and mm-hmm. it looks rosy on the surface, but there's a bit of a story in there about, I guess, some of the challenges. And, again, we're um, in a really good place. We're super grateful and lucky for what we have. And we know that we haven't had the hardest journey of anyone, but um, I suppose there's um, there's a little bit in it for, for others definitely. as well. Oh, definitely, mate. And... Jeez, I've got to say, mate, really appreciate you sharing that and I think, yeah, the open honesty around that, you're right, there's a lot of things that aren't shared for, you know, for better or worse, you know, to a degree. It's As you said, it's not something that, you know, you're just going to start yapping about at the coffee shop when you catch up for a mate, but I think it's important to call some of these things out because, as you said, it's things aren't always necessary, necessarily rosy and, again, Gem, she's a lovely lady, she's super bubbly, she's a, she's an absolute legend, mate, you've done well, but... <laughs> yeah. um, but no, but look, you know, for, for dealing with that for six months, like it's, yeah, you, you just wouldn't know, right? And, and it's, yeah. You're right, and she's, um, she's bubbly and she, she gives off um, such a good vibe, but uh, I suppose underneath the surface there was a bit of a struggle for a while and everyone knows her ups and downs. I mean, yeah. just like you and mate, me, mate, we yeah, um, yeah. wake up on the wrong side of the bed at times. But um, yeah, I suppose in that situation there was a fair bit there and, and even now I suppose that there will be, you know, a bit of trauma and some demons there, you know, whilst we've had a great result in a couple of, couple of kids um yeah a few ups and downs yeah look it's it's always going to be something i'm sure that that you'll carry but obviously you've got two young cracking boys mm. as you said mate and i guess that's that's i'm testing yeah, this now mate yeah. i tell you <laughs> aren't they, aren't they what? oh mate. And, and look just on the and again i don't want to jump to conclusions but i guess it starts to go into that postnatal depression piece as well and you can understand why in particular for, for women how did you find it from your perspective? I'm going to say dealing with it, but you know, being that support network or that rock. How did you find that? Is it? How did you deal with that? Did you struggle with it? Any any light around that? For sure, I think um, individually dealing with things that I've had to deal with um, by myself generally have coped relatively well. Although you, you could ask Gemma and she'd tell you tell you that's wrong. <laughs> but um, I guess I've had a few setbacks over time and built up a little bit of resilience, but. When it's your family or, you know, your partner or dealing with it all together, it's, I guess it's um, you can't just uh, close it up and, you know, to put it in the top drawer. you kind of got to deal with it. And, yeah, I've, I've certainly have struggled at times. Just being that supportive, you know, empathetic person that you need to be, it's, it's tough at times. Um, you know, you deal with it in your own way as well. And like I said, I, as a male or, or having very masculine ways of dealing with setbacks, um, isn't always the right way to mm. go to support someone else. You know, for me, just going, all right, what's next? Um, or, you know, get on with it. Doesn't, um, isn't the role that you might want to play for, I guess, supporting your other half. Um, and so that's something I've struggled with or, or have um, probably learned to overcome a little bit. Mm. Haven't got it down pat yet. I hear you. <laughs> yeah, look, I, but I think it's, it's a fair point, right? It's a fair thing to call out. It's something I know I need to do better at. I think, yeah, as you mentioned it's whether it's drummed into you or it's just something you've grown up with or whatever you know it's sort of she'll be right I'll kick ahead it's mm. all good and then I find myself anyway sometimes my wife Emmy 
you know, if she's dealing with something in particular, sometimes my just reaction is, oh, look, you know, come on, let's, it's all good, let's move ahead. But, you know, mm-hmm. I, I do have to pull myself up sometimes and go, well, hold on, no, there's, this needs to be, I'll probably have to give this a little bit more thought here. <laughs> we might have to get well, an expert yeah. on Yeah, yeah oh, I know, geez, well, I think we do. <laughs> I think we do. I think we could probably run a group session, This is actually. definitely, yeah. If anyone oh, wants mate. to join us for, um, absolutely, yeah, how to be more empathetic and, and better mate, partners. <laughs> all ears, I'm taking, I'm taking inboxes as we speak, please. <laughs> but, um, no, mate, very much peer-led this one, definitely not expert-led, but it's <laughs> mate, it's it's good nonetheless oh look as i said mate look honestly i I didn't know to that extent Mm. that you guys went through that and again look i hope you know people can hopefully get get something out of that in any way shape or form or or just appreciate that it isn't just a straight path and you know i think these things are important to talk about you know in varying degrees varying capacities and again i just appreciate your uh mate your honesty and we're honest around all of that mate i appreciate it man i think you're doing great things here um i think for us was or for me it was just important to be pretty open and honest mate i know you're doing a, a ripping job of i guess shining light on fatherhood some some of the challenges some of the ups of course some of the great times but yeah mate just being open and transparent you know if there's something in it for for someone else i know it's like i said before there's a few sensitive issues there which you know some people might feel you know strongly about and there may be stigma there in our journey but um that's just real mate i think exactly it's your journey right and and it's your personal experiences and that can't be argued with yeah for sure and and like i said we're super grateful we know we've had it um so lucky compared to some you know there's so many challenges around kids or or having kids the ability to fall pregnant all that sort of stuff so we've been super lucky mate but um yeah hopefully just being open and and pretty raw like Mm. you said um helpful to one or two no for sure mate and the boots have been hung up a couple of years ago. What about what about off the field, mate? Are you, are you going for round three, four, five? Yeah, what, what's mate. what's in store? Nah, pulling the pin, mate. Uh, two That's is it. such a challenge at the moment. Yep. Um, loving it. Both. I can't wait for the boys to you know keep growing and and um, yeah, just getting to know them a bit more and playing with them and and, and whatnot. But um, two is good for us. Yep. I think that's manageable. And it's safe. Yes. Yes, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. So it I think be we'll, an absolute curveball. <laughs> <laughs> I think if we stick with two, then we're going to deal with that all right. Um, I look at having three or four and I think it's already pretty hectic. Mm. So, mm. Um, And I also think, you know, right now we're in the thick of it. Um, second's only one. So yep. I'm sure it'll, it'll get less hectic. But uh, I also, also don't want to forget this moment. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. God, time flies. Yeah, mate. Look, just to round things out and – Really, honestly, got got so much out of this chat, mate. It's always always a good cack having Yarn with you. Um, look, let's let's finish on a couple of highs and we'll finish up. Do you have a favourite part about being an old man, or you know, talk talk me about some of the good times? Is there anything in particular that jumps out for you, mate? Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, daily they they put a, a smile on your face, don't they? Um, just the the genuine love you have for your kids. You know, whether you you might be have a long day or whatever, come home to them, they're just stoked to see you. Washes everything away, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, you, you can't beat that, you know, just that love that they give you. I'm sure it might get, uh, it might might not be there in a couple of years, so I'll try and make the most of it now while they're young. But, um, yeah, they just love you and look at it, I, you know, that's unbeatable. But I love just hanging out with, I love hanging out with the kids whilst with my mates as well. It's pretty cool um, just seeing how they interact with um, your other friends and stuff like that. I love mm. that experience. But yeah, it's, it's really cool. I think it's something I mentioned very early in, in our chat, mate, was just the influence you have on him. And I suppose I've never thought too much about it or hadn't realised the significance of it until you become a dad. I don't know about you, mate, but what, what do you reckon? Is that something you've noticed since, you, since you've since been a dad? Yeah, definitely. It's the, 
and and now my my son turned one during the week and it's just wild you know and and they're literally like your little shadow he's mimicking stuff for better or worse i'm doing already and it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy you know it's the impact you know that that you have whether you realize it or not and, and now i really am starting to and it's it's just unlike anything you you know you ever experienced, mm. but mate, it's it's as you, I think you put to it's the best thing in the world, mate, and fumbling through it like the rest of us, but um, mate, having a good laugh along the way no too. Guide so. book, <laughs> oh God, no, no, not at all. Especially in our language, and I think I touched on that in previous chats, and that's kind of the a bit of the purpose around this too. You know, something that's just relatable in, as I said, in our language. You know, a couple of guys just having having a chat through a lot of this because. As best you think you can prepare, you can't. Like, let's be honest. And especially with the curveballs and every kid's different and whatnot. So, no, it's, mate, it's good. Definitely keep us honest, though. <laughs> but, mate, look, just to wrap it up, look, what's the future hold for Tommy Simons? And, mate, any parting messages you want to leave us with or leave your offspring for that matter? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question, mate. I suppose I'd love to keep making an impact with what I'm doing at the moment. But wherever I head, sort of, I'd love to still be helping people. As a family now, I suppose you think about that a lot more and I'd love to keep challenging myself around time, I suppose, um, mm. how much time you get to spend with the loved ones. That's particularly this day and age, right? There's so many distractions, so much um, scrutiny on how much you're working and um, just your commitments, juggling it all. It's pretty difficult. Um, I'm, I'm sure everyone has it. There's just such a, you know, such a challenge with that, right? So I think that for me, I'd love to keep um, progressing with that, spending more time with the family where I can, and trying to be a bit more present, I suppose. But yeah, mate, I'm happy to keep keep having a crack at what I'm doing at the moment, keep progressing best I can, and yeah, that's a, that's a bit of that, mate. Mate, absolutely. And I think, look, you, yeah, there's plenty of goodness in that. I think one thing that definitely rings true for me, I've, I've mentioned it, I think, a bunch of times, or at least on the home front, is just that presence, be present. And it seems like something so simple, but I feel like with all the distractions that are going on, in the world but in our lives it's just it, i know for myself it's just something i've got to try and constantly remind myself mate. Mm. No, we can work on that one together oh, mate yeah mate, we will we will after this over those <laughs> espressos <laughs> bear with me uh, no. oh but look tommy mate always a pleasure i really appreciate your time unreal chat and learn a hell of a lot too so really appreciate it and, and thanks for taking the time mate love your work lg cheers for having me brother of course mate thank you Uru, thanks everyone for listening cheers I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land I currently live and am recording on today, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, paying respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.